Today we're going to uh, do like a one-off sermon today, and we're going to do one-off sermons right up to Easter, and then after Easter we're going to start a new series. And the title of the sermon that we're going to talk about today is, is called The Measurement. A couple of weeks ago, or, last, or really last week, uh, I really felt God wanted me to share this to, to us at Generation Church. Um, for those of you who don't know, I was away last week, and uh, I was in the UK. My father, uh, sorry, my father, uh, my grandfather uh, had passed away, and he was 95 years old, and, uh, and I went back uh, to uh, my, uh, my parents' home uh, for the funeral. We went to this funeral, and uh, it was a great time. I saw people I hadn't seen, family members I hadn't seen for like 12 years. Um, everybody's now got like tons of kids. And so it was like, uh, uh, if you know the scene at the beginning of Home Alone, that movie, uh, where like the house is full of kids and somebody's going to left behind. I swear we were going to leave somebody behind. It was probably going to be the coffin, but, uh, you know, I mean, we were going to leave somebody behind. Anyway, but it was this big celebration um, of my grandfather's life. He had lived a full life. Uh, he had been a pastor for like 45 years, and on top of that, he had been a, a production manager at an engineering firm. He had also owned his own store that, that sold uh, fruits and vegetables um, on top of all that. Um, he was a man who really knew how to love. He was a man who knew how how to be a, a great husband, how to be a great father. Um, he knew how to be a great pastor. And uh, very inspired by my grandfather um, and all that, that he has done and, uh, and, and he, the legacy that he had left in this life. And it was like a two and a half hour funeral service. I mean, that's like a long funeral service. Like we want them like to be like 15 minutes so we can start the party after, right? Uh, but this was like two and a half hours. And uh, it, it was amazing because the church was packed full. And I think he was a 95-year-old man. Most of his peers had already passed away. But the church was full of people from all generations. And there were even people at the funeral who did not even ever meet my grandfather. But the impact my grandfather had made on their parents was so much that they wanted to come and, uh, and, and be at his funeral. He was a great man. And as I started to, uh, to listen to all the different people at the funeral, uh, I thought I knew my grandfather well, but he was an even greater man than what even I had uh, uh, even realized myself. The impact he had made upon people. He was somebody who really reached his generation for Jesus Christ. The hundreds and thousands of people who are now in the kingdom of God, many have gone home and, and, and passed away and now in heaven because of his influence and because uh, of the love that he showed people and that he was not fearful of telling people that they needed Jesus in their life. And, and and as I sat in this funeral service, uh, I suddenly started realizing, wow, he really reached his generation for Jesus Christ. I wonder if we're reaching our generation for Jesus Christ just like he did. And as I sat there, Proverbs twenty two twenty eight came to me. And this is what Proverbs twenty two twenty eight 28 uh, uh, says. And this is what we're going to center, what we're going to talk about today on. It says this, don't cheat your neighbor by moving the ancient boundary markers set up by previous generations. I said that again. Don't cheat your neighbor by moving the ancient boundary markers set up by previous generations. 
And it started to make me wonder, I wonder if in our generation, we see so many people who who are turning away from God. We see our society that is getting less and less godly and more secular. We see kids who are turning away from the faith that their parents have. And I wonder if we're not seeing the move of God like previous generations did, or if we're not seeing workplaces that come to faith in Jesus Christ like previous generations, or families who saw everybody in their family find faith in Jesus Christ like previous generations, I wonder if it's because we have started to move the boundary markers that generations of old set as a standard. Now, for those of you who own a home or you own a piece of land, you know that there uh, there is something that is attached to the deed of that of that uh, of that property that you own it's called a survey a land survey uh, and it is a legal document that will show exactly the land that you own and, and, and that, that you have and, and so uh, when we bought our house about five years ago we got given this land survey and it showed exactly what was our property and what was our name property so we knew exactly where to mow and not what not what to mow as well and so uh, and so we knew exactly what was our, our property and you can go to the courthouse and you can go and get that legal document and it will show you exactly what is your land now when my my parents moved into their home they still live in now in 1987 and when we moved in, uh, we, we saw this land survey and it just didn't look right because it looked like our neighbor had taken about five feet of our land and built a fence there. And so we didn't know what to do. We didn't know whether to challenge him on this or just let it be. And so even still today, our neighbor has five feet of our property because he built a fence five feet into, our, uh, uh, into the land that we own. Now, we have land surveys now, but in years gone by, they didn't have land surveys. They didn't have uh, the, the, the documents that they have. So what they would do is they would set up markers so you could see whose land is what. Now, what would happen, there would be some neighbors who weren't that, uh, that didn't have much integrity. And uh, sometimes they would cheat their neighbors. So if their neighbor went on a long trip or if their neighbor passed away while all the confusion was going on, they would go out, they would pick up the boundary marker, they would move it a couple of feet. And so they would get more land uh, because they would move this boundary marker. And obviously, they were taking ground that wasn't theirs. And so suddenly, the, the, the boundaries of their property was enlarged. Now, they were cheating their neighbors. And it made me think, as I was sitting in my grandfather's funeral, I wonder if our generation, if we have started to move the boundaries of faith, the boundaries of the truth of God's word, And even the boundaries of personal evangelism that my grandfather's generation, they lived by and they valued and they reached their generation for Jesus Christ with. And so today what I want us to do, 
I want us to talk about three boundary markers that I believe that we should not move, that they are non-negotiable, they should never be moved. Uh, and, and there's lots of things in our faith that, that, that are non-negotiable. There's lots of gray areas in our faith that people talk about and, and, and discuss, but there's certain things that are non-negotiable. And today, I just want to center on three things that I believe that, that have been set as boundary markers markers for generations past and that we should never move. Otherwise, we'll be cheating not only ourselves, but we're going to be cheating our loved ones and our neighbors and those that we influence and come into contact with each and every day. And so the first marker that I believe that is non-negotiable is this. It's called the starting marker, the starting marker. Now, I asked a question in first service and I got this blank response. And I asked, has anyone ever heard of the game Chinese Whispers at all? And I get the same blank response. I love it. So I, f- I finally figured out first service. We had this little game and we tried to figure out what I was actually talking about. And it's actually a game called Telephone. Ever heard of the game Telephone? Right now I'm talking your language, right? So you've ever played the game Telephone and, uh, and you've got maybe a line of people and you've got someone and they will whisper into somebody's ear and they will whisper a message. And then that person has to go to the next person and they have to say that same message. Uh, and it's fun because once you get to the end, of the line, whether it's the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth person, and you ask them what what has been said, and often it's a totally different sentence to what the person who originally said it was, right? It's a fun game to to, to play, and often if you're the one at the beginning, you're the one you really try to say the sentence as quick as you can, so it confuses everybody right off the go. But but, I the solution to this game is this. The last person, they really should go back to the first person and figure out exactly what the first person said and uh, find out what is the difference in what is being said. And I wonder when it comes to, the, it comes to our faith, I wonder if the beginning boundary marker now is very different to what we're seeing today. I wonder if through the years, through the generations, there's, this being, this being, uh, there's been this game of telephone or Chinese whispers that have been telling. And people now are totally off base with their faith to what the original forefathers of the Christian faith believed. That there's people that they believe some wacko stuff now. There's, there's many different strands of Christianity. And you're like, where did they get that from? And it's often because it's been this game of telephone that through the centuries, people have been saying different things. And now they're totally off base. But the solution is this. To find out what the truth really is, we need to go back to the first person. We need to go back to the beginning and figure out what was said in the beginning. And for us as believers of Jesus Christ, that beginning is found in the book of John. And it's found in John chapter 1 and it starts at verse 1. And this is what it said. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was God, oh sorry, the word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. 
The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So we see here that in the beginning was the word. It says the word was with God and the word was God. A little confusing, right? It's like, how can it be with God and God? And it really speaks here to the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that there is God in different aspects of God. Now, John will reveal in later in John John chapter 1, it will reveal that this word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and this word is Jesus. So if we want to find out on this game of telephone throughout the centuries, what is the the truth, what is real, we need to come back to the beginning to Jesus. See, this is what we know from John, that the word is not a book, the word is a person. And so even though we have a Bible and and good old Christians say the word, we're going to preach from the word, right? We see it as a book that is bound with pages. The reality is, is the words in this book are alive and they are living and they represent a person. And that person is God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the word specifically means Jesus. This person is God. This person is Jesus. And John tells us that, It is Jesus who was here at the beginning. It was Jesus is the one that gives life. That Jesus is the one that creates. He's the one who creates light that extinguishes the darkness. And this is what I know. When we start to move the marker of who God is, and the fact that Jesus is God, then we not only cause ourselves to stray from the truth, but we start to cheat those around us as well. See, if all that we do and all that we are is not measured through the filter of Jesus, then we will end up like the person at the end of the game of telephone and they will be totally confused and have no idea what is right, what is wrong, what is truth, what is not, what makes sense, where is God, who is God, why am I even in this life, why do I even live? Because they're totally confused. Now, Jesus said this, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 7, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate for the sheep. Jesus is using a metaphor and he's calling us sheep. You may not like being called a sheep, but you're being called a sheep. And Jesus is saying that in order for the sheep to come home, then they need to come through the gates and I am the gates. Last week, Stan talked about the prodigal and the prodigal coming home. And all of us, we have strayed from God and and to come back into fellowship or in relationship with God, we need to come home to God. And Jesus is the gate by which we come home. Then Jesus said this in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So Jesus is saying this, I am the way, and no one can get to God unless it's through me, that I am the way to God. Now, this world will tell us there are many ways to God. 
And this whole game of telephone throughout the centuries and throughout history has ended up telling us that there's all these different paths to God. But when you actually go back to the beginning, the word who was here in the beginning, this is what he says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Meaning he is the only way to God. The starting marker. See, when Jesus stops being the gate by which we enter, the boundary markers have been moved. And now darkness becomes the norm for the light is a long way off. And if you want to live in the light and not in darkness, you need to live through Jesus. So we cannot move the starting marker, which is Jesus. The next marker that I believe is non-negotiable that we cannot move, I call it the, the truth marker. The truth marker. The truth of what the word Jesus actually says. Now, as Christians in the United States of America right now, this marker is under siege. Because there's lots of people who want to twist what the Bible is saying so it fits their life. Now, I I was listening to an interview a couple of weeks ago of a a guy who used to be a megachurch pastor who has really like like gone off the deep end and gone like wacko and crazy. And he was on Oprah. And anyone who maybe is on Oprah has gone off the deep end maybe. But he was on Oprah. And this is what he said. This is someone who used to be an evangelical Christian had so much influence in the Christian world, and he said this. He says, we can no longer judge our lives by what men 2,000 years ago said and wrote about. That's what he said. Talking about we can't judge our lives by what the Bible says anymore. There is somebody who has moved the marker of truth that was set up generations ago so it fits his lifestyle or the way he views of life. Last uh, last week when I was in England, my brother, he is a minister or what they call a vicar in the Church of England. He wears like the dog collar and he wears robes and I think he's in there because he's got like something about robes or something. But... Uh, but it's a totally different way they do church than us. And, and, and we were talking, and when we all get together, we'll sometimes talk about theology, and it'll get a little heated, and it's great. Um, and, and I asked him I said, on, on a certain issue that, that their church is dealing with. I was like, so where are you guys with this issue right now? And, and he was talking about it, and he says, I'll be honest. He says, he said, the bishops are just in a really hard place right now. He says, it's like they're between a rock and a hard place. And then like my sister, who, who, who is like a, a Bible belt, kind of like evangelical, big hair, like, you know, jumping from the chandeliers, kind of crazy Christian. She was, she was like going on at him, like, how can it be between a rock and a hot place? This is what the word of God says. This is what the Bible says. And it just started this big thing. And I mean, it was amazing. It was great. And, uh, you know, my mom just walks out the room, like shaking her head and stuff. But when we start to move the mark of what the word of God actually says, then we not only fool ourselves, but we're actually cheating generations to come. We're telling our kids it's okay to move the marker. 
It's, it's okay to, 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 to move it out a little bit more, to fit some more stuff in that we want to fit in. See, we are on a dangerous path as Christians when we try to twist the Bible so we can make an argument for the things we do not agree that the Bible says so it becomes agreeable to us. And, and I'll be honest, there's things in the Bible I don't understand. Why did God say this? Why wasn't God a little bit more clear on this? Why, why does God say this is so wrong and this is so right? And, and there are some things that I don't always understand, but it doesn't mean that we move the boundary marker so that suddenly we start to twist the Bible so it becomes something that's agreeable to us. See, we are the first generation since the beginning of the church to say there are certain things that we now say are okay that every single generation for the last 2,000 years has said not okay. And it's not because we found a secret passage in the Bible that every other person for the last 2,000 years totally missed. You know what? They were closer to the beginning of the, phone, of the telephone game than what we were. That they had a better assurance than what we do of what the word actually says. What it is, it's just that we started to move the boundary marker at times. I love what Psalm 119 verse 160 says. It says, the very essence of your words is truth. All your regulations will stand forever. So going back to that, that ex-megachurch pastor who was on Oprah What he's saying, he says, we can't live anymore by what people 2,000 years ago said. He is totally going against what the psalmist is saying, that all the regulations of the Lord will stand forever. See, we will never understand all that God requires. Many of his regulations and his commands will not make sense to us. But even if we choose to follow him, We choose to trust him. And if we trust him, we have to believe in him, that he has our best interests at heart. We have to believe that his way is the right way. And sometimes our way is the wrong way, for he was here from the beginning. And that is why, if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, it is important to know what the Bible says and why it says it. I'm not smarter than my grandfather's generation. There was a guy in the Bible called Elijah. Elijah did many, many wonderful things. And at the end of his life, he suddenly realized, you know, even though I'd done all these incredible things for God, he said this, I am no better than my father's. We're not smarter than generations before. So let's not move the markers that they set and they lived by. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, it says this, But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the, the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. 
All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That is what the word of God does for us. And when we stay true to the beginning, to the word of God and what Jesus said and what the Bible tells us, it equips us and it prepares us to do the good things that God longs for us to do. The last marker, boundary marker that I want to talk about today, the last one that I believe is non-negotiable, I call it the personal evangelism marker. Now, I'll be honest with you today. This marker is the marker that I have a tendency to move most. I like to move this one a little bit more than, 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 than what I should. You see, I can stand up here all day. Well, not really all day, but I could stand up here every week and tell you that you need Jesus in your life. To tell you that, 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 that we're all sinners and it's through the, the life and the, 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 the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we can be made right with God and that Jesus saves. And if you don't have Jesus in your life, then you're never going to experience eternal life. And I can tell you that every single week without a problem, I can stand up here and say that. But get me one-on-one with somebody who... Maybe I have a relationship with, I know a little bit, and I know they're not right with God. And ask me to ask them where they stand with Jesus. Ask me to ask them if if, if they need Jesus in their life. You know what's going to happen? My palms are going to get a little sweaty. Get a little hot under the collar. I'm going to be like panicky I'm probably not even going to know the right words what to say because believe it or not I'm actually a shy person and and when I was a kid I was a really shy person and 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 I really don't like confronting people too much now, now I know some other people, they have no problem they can just tell everybody you know that, that, that they need Jesus but for me that personal evangelism having that one-on-one that has been tough for me to deal with See, for us, this boundary marker is found in Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 18, Jesus told this to his disciples. I have, given, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given and be sure of this. I am with you always, even until the end. This is called the Great Commission. And so what we are being told here is we are being told to go and tell people about Jesus, make disciples, baptize them, and to teach them. We're we're being told that, that part of our job as Christians is to tell others about Jesus. And I'll be honest, this great commission right here, for years... I looked at it like this. I thought it was the cold calling of the Christian faith. 
You know what I mean? Like some of you, you're in sales and your boss tells you to cold call. And and you're like, I just don't want to cold call. I hate cold calling. Cold calling doesn't work. And your boss is like, no, cold calling works. You need to cold call. You need to do this many cold calls. And, and, And I always felt that this was like the cold calling of the Christian faith. It was the part of the job that I didn't want to do. I, I, was, I was good with the church thing. I was good with the prayer thing and the Bible reading thing, living a, a good moral life. I was even good with the tithing thing. But I always thought the personal evangelism thing, let somebody else who's a little bit more confident in that area do that. And then one day I heard a quote. And somebody quoted this quote, and it was from, they said it was from Francis of Assisi. And this was the quote. It said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And many of you may have heard this this quote. And as soon as I heard this quote, it was like freeing for me. I I loved it. It was amazing uh, because suddenly I started to think, wow, I don't have to tell people about Jesus anymore. I can let my lifestyle be be the thing that tells people about Jesus. So I went around like trying to live this good lifestyle so that other people could see Jesus in me. And then they would come and ask me, wow, there's something about you. Is it Jesus? And I'm like, yes, it's Jesus. And then they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, And for years, I lived like that. And do you know how many people during that time I led to faith in Jesus Christ? Zero. You know what? Because people are not looking for Jesus. And so they're not looking for Jesus in me. So nobody came up to me and asked me, wow, I see Jesus in you. It's like looking at the eyes of Jesus. Nobody said that. See, what I found out that Francis of Assisi actually never said that. It was a misquote. And he was talking to the friars and the priests at the time. And he basically said that your, your deeds should follow your preaching. See, what I had done for years, I had moved the boundary marker of personal evangelism because I had failed to actually go and tell people about Jesus. See, this is what I've discovered from being married for 12 years, from parenting for the last couple of years, from from having friends and being in the workplace and even being a pastor. This is what I've learned. The best way to communicate is through words. It's through words. You can't expect someone to understand what you are saying by playing a game of charades. And all of you have people in your life right now who need to hear the words of Jesus. See, your actions will give you credibility and often trust, but your words will direct people to the one true word that is the one who was here at the beginning of time, that is Jesus. Notice that Jesus did not tell us in the beginning was a good deed. In the beginning was a good action. He did not say in the beginning was a bumper sticker. In the beginning was a a fish on the car. He didn't even say in the beginning was a what would Jesus do bracelet. Anyone remember those at all? The what would Jesus do bracelets? No, he said this. In the beginning was the word. The word. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says this. So faith comes by hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. 
Your loved ones will never have their sins forgiven. Live in the grace and the mercy of God. Never experience the wonders of eternal life. Or hear the good news of Christ. Unless somebody uses their words to tell them about him. Some of you, the thought of even telling someone about Jesus like me, you get sweaty palms, you get hot under the collar. That is why we give things like Easter cards and invites so you can at least tell people to come to, Jesus, to, to, to church and they come and, and we'll tell them about Jesus. But it starts with you making a decision. I'm not going to move the boundary marker of personal evangelism. My grandfather was somebody who everywhere he went, this is what he told them. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Whether you drove in the car with him, you honestly believe Jesus saved when you drove in the car with him. Or you were just in a restaurant. Or you just met him on the street. He would tell you, Jesus saves. When I was 11 years old, I took my first woodworking class at school. And I was excited because... Woodworking ran in my family. One of my grandfathers was a carpenter. The other one was a DIY man. And so I was excited about learning manly stuff, right? 11 years old. My first task in woodworking class was to make a birdhouse. We were given all the supplies to make the best birdhouse. We were given the right wood, the right nails, the right glue, everything that we needed to make. And we were given the measurements. But as I started to build them, I started to measure. And I started to measure. I started to become a little lax in my measurements. A sixteenth of an inch was a little kind of complicated to work out. So I just rounded it back down to an inch. And, 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 and it started with one. I thought that would be okay with one. And then it went with the whole birdhouse. And by the end, I'd finished the birdhouse. And I was very proud of my birdhouse. Even though it was a little wonky, it was very ugly. And it had gaps in the middle of it. And I took it home. I painted it. And I took it home to my mom. And I was like, Mom, look at the birdhouse I made. And my mom, like all good moms, was like, oh, that's so wonderful. She was lying through her teeth. But... We went outside and we nailed the birdhouse to an apple tree in our backyard. And in the next couple of days, we started to see little birds in the house. And I got so excited because I made a house for these little birds. A couple of weeks later, I went to bed and a big storm came through. And I woke up the next morning and I looked outside and my birdhouse was collapsed on the floor. You see, what happened is because I had not used the measurements right, the structure of the birdhouse was not strong enough. And when the winds came and, uh, and, the, rain, uh, and when, uh, when the winds came and the rain kind of went through into the birdhouse, the structure was not strong enough to withstand the storm. And so the birdhouse collapsed. It was great for a couple of weeks but not long-term. And I wonder, in our generation, if we are just mismeasuring just a little what the markers that generations of old have set up. 
And we like it for a moment because, because it becomes just a little less confusing. But over time, when the storms of life roll in, what does it do to our faith? Our faith gets shattered. Why? Because we have moved the markers. See, when we use our own measurements, the structure becomes weak. It looks ugly. It doesn't make sense. That's why we can't be a generation that will move the markers. They are there for a reason. And when we live by his measurements, Jesus' measurements, then we not only experience the fullness that there is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we don't cheat our neighbors. And then our neighbors and our loved ones and those we care about, they experience the fullness of Jesus as well. So let us not be a people that will move the markers that the generations of old set up. Let's bow our heads in prayer.